0: The reading for this morning is taken from Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, the verses 8 to 21. You'll be able to find that on page 1179 of your pew Bible. Luke chapter 2, the verses 8 to 21. Luke has just finished describing how a decree has gone out from Caesar Augustus to register all the world... And Joseph and Mary have gone from their hometown of Nazareth down to Bethlehem. And there, Mary gave birth to Jesus Christ and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger in Bethlehem because there was no room for them at the inn. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And when the eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So far the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what a special time it is. Today is Christmas Day we get a chance to celebrate with loved ones and to remember the entrance of our precious Savior into the world. Of course, we know that today, December the 25th, was not actually the day that Jesus was born because shepherds were not in the fields overnight during December. Since December is the winter season in Judea, meaning it's cold and rainy, they would have sought shelter for their flocks. But regardless of that, we recognize that it's still important to celebrate Christ's birth. And so since we don't know the date for sure, we've chosen a date. We've set aside time during these winter months that we can dedicate to this special event. But during this time when we're all gathered together and we're enjoying each other's company, do we take the time to slow down, to stop, and to actually think about what we're celebrating? Do we stop to consider how amazing this event truly is? Ever since the fall into sin, man has been in a state of disrepair. Right from the beginning, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. And man, trembling, fled from God in the Garden of Eden. Ever since then, man has been conceived and born into sin. But we can see that even there God went and he pursued man as he fled from him in love. As the Apostle Paul said, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all sinned. We were all broken and corrupt. We stood before a terrifyingly holy and pure God. Yet despite all that, God, who dwells in unapproachable light, looked down from heaven on mankind and said, I'm not done with these people. I want to show my love to them. Yes, he shows his love to us even when we're enemies. He calls the hopeless, the helpless, the weak, and the weary to come to him. Even though they are his enemies. And he will give them rest. And as evidence of this, he sends his only son into the world who would carry out what was necessary for this to become possible. This condescension on the part of God is magnificent. It's a cause for rejoicing. Christ's coming into the earth was a sign that God had bridged that unbridgeable divide between us and him. That even though our sins may stretch close to infinity in our minds, it's infinity that closes the gap. And it's that that we're celebrating today. Brothers and sisters, Christ our Lord is born. And we'll look at that today under two points. First, a heavenly announcement and secondly, an earthly confirmation. The setting that we find our shepherds in here in our passage today, in Luke 2, is rural Judea, in a little town called Bethlehem. Now it's probably closer to the warmer months at this point in time, so we find the shepherds sleeping outside with the sheep instead of gathering them into the fold. They would be pushing their flocks to greener pastures further out, so it would be less sensible for them to keep on traveling back and forth and back and forth every day and every night no they'd keep them out in the field and they would be staying with them there but to keep them out in the field meant that they needed to keep watch if you remember King David in the Old Testament talking about needing to take care of the sheep he talked about fighting off wild animals of course most have died off in present day Israel but there were some historically that they had to watch out for Lions, for example, get more active, close to dusk. There were other predators that they'd have to keep an eye out for. Never mind that you might get a sheep that gets it into its head that it wants to wander off into the night. They needed to be alert. There would be a few on guard in shifts while the others slept, ready to wake everyone else at a moment's notice. And indeed, the shepherds were ready, but nothing prepared them for what they were about to see. Imagine the darkness and the stillness of the night. Far away from any city lights, the expanse of the sky overhead, and nothing but the quiet night sounds and the wind rustling through the grass. Suddenly, the dark is pierced by a blinding light surrounding this heavenly figure and the stillness is shattered by the sound of a voice announcing like the herald before the coming of the king. The shepherds scramble up in astonishment. Then the glory of the Lord fills the sky above where the angels are, terrifying in its beauty and awesome in its majesty. What a startling and marvelous sight that must have been. This was an angel that had come from the presence of the Lord himself carrying with him. The radiance of God's glory. Now reflected, glory is not something that's unheard of for the shepherds. They would have known how Moses, when God spoke with him, left those meetings with his face covered in a veil because his face shone so brightly from God's glory that people couldn't bear to look on him. But they themselves had never expected to see this reflected glory. How it terrified them. If merely being in the presence of God's glory could do this to creatures, how much greater is God's glory in itself? If merely being in God's presence could bathe you in a radiance that's so terrible to behold for sinful man, Brothers and sisters, being in God's radiance itself would cause us to drop dead at the sight. Little wonder that such terror filled the hearts of these men. They were filled with fear. Such is the great gap between God and between men. I think today we tend to lose sight of this a bit. Our society has a tendency of thinking of God as some powerless, white-bearded man in the sky. He's well-meaning, but he's not always in control. And when you sin, he's like a visiting old uncle who chuckles at his temper tantrum that his nephew throws. It's not a big deal, and sweeps it under the carpet. As long as you live a relatively decent life and you stay under the radar, he'll ignore it. But the Bible is very clear on the holiness of God. We have a God who is terrible in splendor and radiant in glory. A God who's absolutely righteous and absolutely good. Not just a relative good, relative to those who are around us, but a pure, undiminished goodness that shatters the limits of our imagination. Do we recognize this holiness of God? There's such a great gap between God and man. For these shepherds, it must almost have seemed that man could not be with God. If he cannot stand in the presence of reflected glory without his heart filling with terror and with anxiousness, how is it possible that he could even think of entering into the presence of God? How could the people hope to enjoy the promise of Emmanuel, the promise of God with us? But then the angel speaks. We read, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Don't be afraid, the angel says. For where man cannot come into the presence of God, God himself first reaches out to man. God takes the first step and he's expressing his love to you. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy from God himself. As his reaching out was an expression of God's care for humanity, the need for them to fear him was gone. Instead, the angel has good news. He brings good tidings. The Greek word for that is rooted in the word for spreading the gospel news. It's a message that's meant to be shared. On top of that, it's a message that's one of great joy. Rarely in Luke's writings will you find a reference to this good news, this gospel news, without a reference to the joy that comes in response to the news of that salvation, that that salvation is coming and that that salvation has come. And so this angel is saying, he's literally saying, I evangelize to you great joy. I'm not just sharing a message. I am sharing joy. What an example this faithful heavenly servant is for us. Do we remember that when we share the gospel, we're speaking joy, peace, and liberty into people's minds? Is that the message they get from us? The gospel is so much more than an intellectual message, it's life transforming. We're proclaiming joy. To people we also read that this news will be for all people now at this point it's a message that's given within the context of Israel for the be- entire beginning of the Gospel of Luke we've seen this as being aimed at the people of God the birth of the forerunner of the Messiah was announced at the hour of prayer And the forerunner was a fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. The shepherds too would understand this message that was given to them. This will be for all people. As being a message of good news for all the people of God. All of the Jews in Israel and in the diaspora. The many lands around to which the Jews were scattered. The fact that this reference to all people means all with a vested interest, namely the Jews at this point in time, is one that's commonly held by commentators. But the beautiful thing is that after the coming of Jesus Christ, we can read so much more into these words. What was initially something that was just for the Jews has now become something that's for all of God's people. People from every tongue and tribe and nation can rejoice in it. And suddenly a multitude of angels fills the air, proving that this is no lone voice. This isn't just a single witness or messenger coming from God, not a rogue angel. Rather, all of heaven bears witness with one voice to this reality, singing glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The coming of a Savior may have been a response to the promises and prophecies given to the Jews, but the outcome would stretch far beyond the borders of Israel and the people of God. Where God could not come to man, where where man could not come to God, God came to man. Christ, as we read in Philippians 2 verse 7, although equal with God, chose to make himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And the proof of this reality, the angel said to the people, the proof of this reality would be found in the presence of this precious child wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger, laid in a feed trough for animals. Now at this point, the narrative moves on with Luke, and where we take our eyes off of the heavenly hosts in their glory and move them towards earthly things. It's important to note how this message is brought to us in light of that. Now, in the ancient world and in our church today, it's important that evidence be brought to bear on the testimony of two or more witnesses, Matthew 18. As this is the case, it wasn't just one angel that brought forward the message, but it was a whole host. That's also why when the angels appeared, they didn't just appear to one person, but they appeared to a whole group of shepherds. As that was the case, this made the message that they were carrying that much more trustworthy. Now, some people try to make a big deal that it was the despised to whom the angels appeared. They argued that shepherds weren't accepted in society. They were the dregs. That was a theory that floated around for a little while, but recent scholarship has laid it to rest. There's no reason to think that their message would be called into question because of the fact that they were shepherds. No, in fact, we often find in Scripture that shepherds were not despised, but that they were held as just normal, everyday people. David was a shepherd before he became king. Shepherds were the ones who provided the sheep and the lambs for the temple sacrifices. They were just your average members of society. But the main point of this message coming to shepherds was the fact that God wasn't coming to the rich. He wasn't coming to the proud and the influential. You had the royalty and the religious leaders right around the corner, about 20 kilometers away in Jerusalem. These were the proud and influential in their time. But God wasn't coming to those. He was coming to those who were of humble estate. As the book of James says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And again, we read in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 to 29, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. The base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. It's amazing how frequently God does this. The story that comes just before this about Zechariah reflects this as well. God chooses a barren old woman and her husband to bring the forerunner of this Messiah into the world. He chooses a young virgin to bring his son into the world. And He chooses you to bring this gospel message to those who are around, like the shepherds, to confirm its power here on earth to all who would hear. You might think me, but who am I that anyone would listen to me? I'm not influential among my friends. I'm not popular or well-liked. I'm not well-trained or a good speaker. All I'm good at doing is just living it out from day to day. I'm going to stick with what I know best, say nothing, and hope that someone's just influenced by the way I live. Yet God uses instruments like you every day. Don't be discouraged if you feel inadequate, brothers and sisters. Don't feel less than able simply because someone else seems to have it more together than you do. Don't feel like all you can do is live a good life and hope that someone might see it and connect the dots and be influenced to become a Christian. No, be hopeful. Be joyful in the message that you're bringing. Because God's choosing the foolish things of this world, the humble, the weak, and that has power. Look at what happened to the shepherds. They are stunned by the glory of God. They hear the command not to fear and the proclamation of who the Messiah, the Christ is, and where he can be found. And they're filled with joy. Maybe they leave someone behind to keep the sheep in place. But as for the rest of them, they leave everything behind and they run to him. Oh, that such a reaction would always be ours. That on hearing where Christ is, on hearing where he may be found, we would run to him. They arrive in Bethlehem. We don't know if they went running through the town looking through the different animal shelters or if they found him on the first try. The Bible doesn't say. But when they do arrive, they look with wonder. You know, this could have been the moment where they stared at him with disgust. This humble child in the manger here, this is the Christ. This long-expected, long-prophesied one who would save his people and be called Lord This little baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in such a humble situation, this is the Christ? But no. Instead, they recognize him for who he is. They look past his earthly appearance and they see fulfillment of the word that they had received from heaven. And when they had seen him, their joy runs over. They can't keep it in. They too caught the joy that overwhelmed the angels and caused those around them to burst into song. The joy that the angels evangelized into their lives took root and spread to all those around. They went and told everyone. And they returned to their flock glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard as it was told to them. Reminds me a little bit of a story I heard not too long ago with a woman who was a new convert. She was very excited about her faith. She brought her Bible into work and she would pour over it. She was just filled with joy and it was overflowing. Every time she'd open and turn over a new page, see a new chapter, she'd be like, This is amazing. She had someone come into the room to see where she was at and they asked, What are you doing? She said, I'm studying the Bible. It's amazing. You should come join me. So this person came in and joined her. And together, they were working their way through the Bible. And this this person said, I I want to learn more. So she said, oh, that's fine. Uh, And she went out and she got a course. Christianity Explored and started to work her way through it. She said, I stayed one week ahead of her, this friend of hers. I stayed one week ahead. She was so full of joy though that it didn't matter to her how much she knew. It didn't matter to her that she was only one week ahead in her faith. Her joy overflowed and poured out her passion for what she was reading in these words. The fact that there's a savior who came to save his people. That overflowed and it was catching. She spoke joy. Into these other people's lives. Let this choosing of mere shepherds by God, the foolish things of this world, grant you a simple but firm confidence that you too can speak into your world. You too can touch the people in your life, whether they're Christian or non Christian. You can present the gospel or encourage people in their walk. You can tell people in their sin and hopelessness that there is a way out that in repentance you can find forgiveness, that you can find a Savior who loved you so much that he laid down his life for you. And you can do this no matter who you are, because the power isn't in you. It's in God's word and in his spirit. God's gospel message is a message of power, and this power can enter this world through you no matter how humble you are or how stumbling your tongue or your intellect. And if any of you here are hearing the gospel today for the first time, it's my prayer that whoever you approach would speak to you with this confession. Today, Christmas Day, I celebrate that Christ came into this world to be my Savior, God sent his son into this world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Through Christ, God granted me a way to be right with him. We ourselves are unable to reach out to him in his holiness and in his purity. So this was him reaching out first. And this can be true for you too. All you need to do is believe in this humble infant born to a virgin and laid in a manger that he can take your sins on himself and that he now lives and reigns in glory for your benefit until he comes again. Amen.